You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. If you're looking around the room today, um, we've been having about 122.6 people at church on Sundays, uh, which is, which is you know, good, good crew. Not too many, you know, left elbow room for those that need to space out and uh, enough people to talk to uh, in case you're an extra and so we're dealing with right now, uh, and have dealt with for, for a while now, what I like to call small church problems. You know what small church problems are? So the small church problem is like, really, no matter how, people, how many people are in a room, you still have to prepare like a whole sermon. Like if there was 500 people here or 200 people, you still got to do that. And no matter how many kids are downstairs, you still have to have, even if you have one baby, somebody to hold the baby, if it's five babies or one baby. So the scale is messed up because you don't have you know, staff. And so we've been, you know, pray for the kids ministry, just so you guys know, like super, 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 super part-time when it comes to staff down there. For the last four years, we've been living on mom's paycheck still because uh, we've, we've not been able to fully build out, you know, staff of, of scale. Um, you know, space-wise, we're doing good today. Uh, Easter got a little hot. Uh, it got real hot. And those windows come in here. And, uh, you know, so I'm thankful you guys are um, humble and, and you know, many sit outside sometimes whenever it is that we're too overflow, and we really want to try and stay one service as long and as far as we can. Um, and really, like, uh, there's a level of, unfortunately, you're getting a C-plus effort or quality out of me uh, when it comes to there's a lot of different hats that are worn by, you know, just the one guy that's on staff. I go to Fellowship Greenville, I meet like 10 people, and I'm like, I do your job, I do your job, I do your job. You're better than me at the job that I try to do, you know what I mean? It's like, I do, all, you know, all these jobs. Uh, so these are small church problems, but I'll tell you this, I've been, I've been part of small churches, big churches, charismatic churches, you know, um, uh, Baptist churches, all this stuff. Um, I, I would trade any day of the week um, small church problems for big church problems. I'll tell you what, because what we struggle with in small churches, we struggle with coverage, is like, will people fall through the cracks? Is everybody going to get what they need? You know, that's a problem, you know, that's a real problem. I would, I would trade coverage problems uh, for what I'd like to call in big churches complexity problems. <laughs> complexity problems it's just, it's, it's, it's beyond my pay grade. And, uh, and so one of the problems you'll have, you know, in a big church is basically you, you, you need such a high um, capacity of skill and certain skill sets that you'll actually have people in positions in bigger churches that don't look like Jesus. <laughs> really tough, right? So it's, it's like the guy that makes the slides is amazing. And he makes X amount of, you know, figures a year, but he's never prayed in his life. And you go talk to this guy that's making slides, you, do you even, are you here because of Jesus? You know, like, you will, you'll generally run into this. Um, another one is, is that, you know, you, you have to cover a bigger church, and, and to cover where you can't with people, you have to cover it with um, culture. So you'll run into people, and they'll have, like, lingo, but past the five or six words that they're trying to do, you're like, are you meaning what you're saying? You know what I'm saying? Like, you run into this telemarketing thing where it's like, I'm, there's a dissonance there. And then the worst, and this is actually the most harmful, like all that stuff is kind of like funny and just part of, you know, being a modern Christian. Uh, the, the hardest thing is when you actually end up like leaving your nets and you're trying to follow Jesus and you're running for the Lord and you end up in the small group and it's just everything but Jesus in the small group, right? It's about uh, finding, a, finding a boyfriend. It's about like uh, being cool or hip or cliffy or whatever, but it's like anything but Jesus. And so that, what I'm saying is I'd rather be having small church problems than big, big church problems. And so all that to say, I think, you know, and I do, you guys might be happy. Like, I, I want people to come to church, and, and I do think that healthy things will continue to grow. It's, 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 if we are about the mission of Jesus and not just the friends in the room, we are inviting people. And so healthy things grow, but you don't want to be big and unhealthy. That's just gross, right? 
So, so you want to be healthy and, and, and you want to grow. And, uh, and so whereas I, I've got this two sides of my heart that when people come into church, I go, yay, people. But then also, this is also, I want you to know inside of my head, like a little duck with the feet, I go, uh-oh, people. Uh, because as you know, the great prophet Puff Daddy once said, more people, more problems. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Um, no, so what's going on in my head, so I want you to know, is, um, is, is, is something I'd like to tell you about. It's called pastor math. Do you know what pastor math is? It's there on the screen. Pastor math is basically this. For every 10 people that come to a church, you need a shepherd. A shepherd. That, that's, a, that's not good math, I'll tell you, because it probably takes, even at the most uninterrupted, you know, like everything's going well, it probably takes three years to raise, at least at bare minimum, somebody that cares with people with the character of Jesus. Probably takes about three years. So 10 people come in the door, and they just moved here from Greenville or whatever, but you're like, I hope I have a shepherd for you, because I don't want you to be uncared for. There's this thing that Jesus used to say when he would like look out at crowds, and it was like inkblot, like just the first thing that comes to mind when Jesus saw people. You know what, you know what he would often say in the Gospels? He saw them like sheep without shepherds. He saw them hungry and hurting and tired and bitter and wounded, and that's just not physical. That's the spiritual side of it. And so I, I um, great, you know, just, you just need these, you know, these exposures with the real life outside the bubble as a pastor. Um, I, I get on, you know, as you guys, like you guys never do, uh, lurking on somebody else's, like, Facebook post. And uh, this little girl, she, she puts up um, this little quote on there, hey, let's have a respectful discussion um, this girl is not, she's a Christian, not currently going to church. Uh, what do you think about church? How do you guys, I saw that thing three hours later, there was 88 comments. I mean, everybody's got an opinion, but everybody's got an opinion about church in the South. And you know, here's what, here's, I'll just give you the, 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 the spark notes. Um, people on that, uh, on that comment thread were not anti-Jesus. Like, I actually still felt the faith and the life source of the Spirit of Jesus in the people, most, you know, the people that were Christians that were talking. I mean, they, they were exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. And two, you know, the truth is, they really weren't anti-church. Uh, you know, they would get on there and they'd say, I've been to a lot of great churches and they're really, I just, I couldn't find a home. I just couldn't fit. I tried and I drug my family out of bed and I got there and I visited. I just, it wasn't something bad. I just couldn't find the fit. And what I read in all those comments is just what Jesus said, is there's plenty of churches, but there's so many people that are sheep without shepherds. They're just bleeding out and trying to figure out what to do and smile through all that. And, and so, so this is the pastor math, right? And, and here's, what, here's what makes me sad. It made me sad in two different ways. Because basically, if you go read those comments, it was people that were saying, like, I, I just can't find a shepherd. But the other double-edged sword of that is you weren't reading any of those comments that, that were saying anything about how can I become a shepherd, right? And that's, that's a two-wing bird right there. It's a, it's a two-wing, two-wing problem. So how many of you guys have Bible school know what Moses' father-in-law's name is? Little guy, okay, sounds like he's making moonshine in North Carolina, right? So Moses' father-in-law's name is Jethro. And Jethro is like Einstein, he's the originator of pastor math. Did you know this? Jethro, they call it the Jethro Principle. I'm going to read this to you out of, um, I'm going to read this to you out of Exodus. It'll be on the screen out of Exodus 18. This is what Jethro says to Moses as the Moses megachurch gets bigger, 
okay? So they increased, and there were so many people, and you know, more, more people, more problems. So Moses' father-in-law pulls him aside. He says, hey, man, what you're doing, it's not good, okay? He's explaining to him that basically Moses has become Judge Judy, and all the people come to him to kind of hold court and make decisions about the difference between good and evil, um, and they're coming to him, and they're not coming to the tree of life, right? They're not going to, to the Lord. So he says, that's not good. I mean, that's, you know, that's Genesis 2. It's not just good. He's not saying it's just not good that you're single and you're on a dating app and you're trying to find a spouse, because that's one thing. But it's just not good for people to be alone. It's not, it's not good for you to do things alone, to give yourself feedback, to depend on your own self, right? It's, the alone factor is not just about romance. It's about life. It's not good to be alone, is what he says. And so these people, you know, they're coming to you, and you're just going to wear yourself out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God, but you can't replace God. And, you know, they're going to they're bring their disputes. You've got to get them to bring the disputes to him. Teach them, he says, to, uh, the decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live, how they're to behave, but select capable men from all the people who fear God, uh, they're trustworthy, and they hate dishonest gain. Can't be bribed. Can't be bullied. Can't be bribed. And appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. That's pastor math. I love that pastor math right there. Have them serve as judges over all the people at all times and have them bring every difficult case to you, the simplest cases that they can decide for themselves, and it'll make your workload lighter, and everybody will be happy. This is all really a, a segue. It is a sermon illustration for the point. And the point is, Exodus 19, that although Israel, the nation of Israel, always deferred to be a nation with a priest, they were designed to be a nation of priests. Exodus 19, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Priests. You will not be a group of people with a really smart guy that tells you what to do, right? You're not going to be a kingdom with a priest. You are going to be a kingdom of priests. You're not going to be a people with a few Moseses. You're going to be a people full of Moseses, full of people that can care for others in the character of Jesus. That's what the world is desperate for. That's what it needs. You might have heard the statistic before. Ten people, they go to a Billy Graham crusade. Billy Graham brings the thunder. Uh, they all come forward. Uh, they raise their hand to receive salvation. They go and visit these people 365 days after they come to the altar, and they say, I want to follow Jesus. And none of them find a church where they find home. You know how many people are no longer going to be following Jesus after 365 days of a Billy Graham crusade if they don't find a home church? Nine of them will not be following Jesus. You take 10 people and you survey them all out here in, in the county of Greenfield. There's, there's tons of churches. There's tons of unbelieving people. There's tons of unchurched, un-Jesus people. And if you poll them and you ask them, how many of you guys are ever going to come to church without a, some type of a positive experience outside the four walls of church? Six out of 10 of them are not coming to church, which means that if the nation, if the temple is going to get built up, it's going to, not just because it's full of people, it's because it's full of priests, priests that are showing up at the corner and priests that are showing up at the table. So um, heaven help Kyra. She told me, did you take the mirror this morning for a sermon illustration? I was like, yeah. She's like, could you clean that? I was like, no, but it's dirty. You're supposed to, it's part of the sermon illustration, <laughs> right? <laughs> 
So Tim Keller, he, he, it's the best illustration of a priest, because it's like, I think of priests, I don't know about you, I'm just thinking, I don't have a white collar and all that stuff. Let's just take that back. Let's just redefine. A priest is simple. A priest is somebody who brings Jesus to people and brings people to Jesus. That's all it is. And so Keller, he says, he says a priest is a mirror. Is somebody that if you look at that mirror, you can't look at that mirror without looking up. And, and he says it's, 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 it's a mirror in the sense that when this mirror looks up, it can't help but show what's down. It can't help but go down towards people. It is bringing Jesus to people and bringing people to Jesus. This is what a holy priesthood, holy priesthood is. And so um, you probably, probably didn't even, you're just impacting me. Darrell this week, Darrell, um, have you ever been hanging out with friends and you know, I'm a Christian, I'm going to hang out with my friends and I'm just being a witness. And then somebody shows up to the party and they actually start witnessing and you're like, oh snap, I have not been witnessing. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh, so that's the real witness. You know, like I'm just the like secondhand witness or whatever. And it's like, Darrell is putting his money where his mouth is. Like if you're following Darrell on, on Facebook, if you're going to see him where, where he's at, in spoken, po- spoken Poetry Realm, he's, he's literally saying on his thing, how can you guys still not see that Jesus is king? Like, he's not mincing the words and saying God's a good guy. Like, he's like, no, Jesus is the Lord. And he's the Lord of my life. And I love you enough and respect you enough to tell you the truth. And I'm going, I'm not even showing up to work. This is, it's like sometimes you'll, you, know, you got to see the real witness to see, see the imposter one, right? I was, uh, finally, I had a conversation. My dad was visiting, and we called Uncle Peter on the WhatsApp. Uncle Peter is my mentor. And Uncle Peter just has the spirit of Aslan, man. He just, you know, like, he just, just puts you in the right, he just puts you back to where you need to be. He's like, Oliver, he's like, pastors are scared people. <laughs> they just want to help people, and sometimes helping people is hard. He just says this stuff, and I'm talking to him on the phone, and I'm like, you're right, Uncle Peter, I need Jesus. <laughs> and, and so this is the deal, is that you don't have a clerical collar, but you're a priest. Like, Christianity is not just a family, it's a job. When you, when you sign up to follow Jesus, you got a new name, and you got a job. And that job has a description, and you don't, need, you don't get to define what's on your job description. You ever gone to a job and tried to do a job that you weren't hired to do? It's not going to work. You got to do the job to be a priest. You're a priest, which means your job, you are here on this earth to do nothing less than not only find a priest, but to become a priest, which means point people to Jesus and point Jesus to people. So let's just do this little hand sign. We're going to get into the scripture here. You guys know this little hand sign. Your finger's got to be in. What's this mean? What's this? This is the church right here. What is this? That's the church. Boy, that's the church. That's a good-looking church. Not even a website, but it's looking good. How do you know it's a church? It has a steeple. But how else do you know that it's a church? Hey, guys, listen. This ain't no church. This is not church. This is church. This is church because the temple, right, is the people. The temple is the people. The heart of every church is the people, and the heart of every people is a sacrifice. The heart of every people in the church is Jesus. Acts chapter 6, in those days, just like in Moses' days, the number of disciples was increasing. More people, more problems. 
The Hellenistic Jews among them were complaining. You ever heard anybody complain in church? I mean, not in this church, but I mean other churches. Complaining. Problems complaining against the Hebraic Jews because of their widows. You know, those old widows, mean old people, were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. I, you know, was not the original pastor here. When the former pastor stepped away, there was turbulence. Okay, and you know why? It's because basically when the first pastor leaves, you're looking at 100 people, and they're all thinking that what's going to change next is the thing that they want to change. 100 people all going in the different directions. Oh, finally, we're going to be the Spirit-filled church. Finally, we're going to get down to the Bible. Finally, we're actually going to love people. You know, it's like, whatever. And so everybody has their opinion, but not everybody's ready to step up with example, with serving, right? And so here's what I love about this, right? This is day one church. This is the, the crisis. So this is, a, Acts 6 is about a crisis, crisis without, crisis within. And the character of the church is revealed. Here's what the church does with drama, okay? What, what, what the leaders, the elders of this church, the 12, the apostles, see with complaining is that complaining is really a masked cry for help. You know what all those people really needed back then in 2017? They needed care. They were scared that they're going to lose their friends, and they were scared they're going to lose their thing that they did and their thing they served and the ways that things were. They're scared, you know that? Like when you have kids... The reason why there's drama in your household is not because they're turds or cookie monsters or whatever, right? But it's really, underneath all that crying, is a cry for care. When the church sees drama, it doesn't give it demands. Hey, there's a church down the street. You can go on and move along. Like, you know, like he's, the church doesn't come towards drama and say, oh, I know what we need to do. Make more demands on people. It says, how about we move closer towards care? When the church sees drama, it doesn't demand, it throws deacons at it. It throws deacons at it. It raises up able-bodied men and women to move closer to problems because complaining is just a cry for care. So, uh, so the 12, they gathered all the disciples together and said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect ministry for the word of God, Jethro. Uh, in order for us to wait on tables, brothers and sisters, choose from among us seven uh, who we know to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Uh, and they will be, oh, and here's that word, right? Here's that word, like, Jesus, Jesus is about relationship. Jesus, we're going to have a relationship. Cheers. Here's the other side of this. It's a kind of relationship with responsibility. It's a job, right? We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of words. So here's how big churches don't become unhealthy. They're really great at empowerment and responsibility, they're really good at pastors not micromanaging and, and controlling every little thing. And I'm telling you, that's me, right? I'm looking up, that's me. That's, that's, I mean, I'm all of it. I don't take responsibility and I control things. But the point is, that's my side of it, is that I don't want things to be on my hands, so I want to micromanage and make sure that it happens. So I'm, that's my control factor, right? But the other side of that is that we are not a community with a priest. We are a community of priests, and so we have responsibilities. And here's the deal. The responsibility, take note is not, hey, scoot in a chair here and there and, and check a few boxes. You know what the responsibility is? The responsibility is people. Like, here's, here's, what, here's basically what the job description was. It wasn't, hey, stand here, you know, and, and say these lines. It's, here's a table for you to care for. Take care of it. Like, here's how a healthy church can be big and not unhealthy, is it has a, a great system and culture that doesn't hand off tasks, it hands off tables. That's Martha. 
I don't even know what's going on with her, but your job is to sit with Martha and all of her friends for three years and care for them. Because when the church sees drama, it doesn't see dysfunction. It sees cries for care. And it throws deacons, not demands. It throws people that look and sound like Jesus to care for them. So are we, are we looking and becoming these, these types of people? I was uh, on the road trip recently uh, taking uh, fam to Lake Jocassi with my dad. And uh, little Ollie, dude, he's like half the height of like the next biggest person in the car. Just in the backseat. He's like pushing over grandma, like stepping on people. Just like a, you know, just like a little uh, a gremlin, just not being him, his best self. You know when people aren't cared for, they, they're, not like the, they're not at their best. You know when you're at your best and you're strong and you're, you're focused and you're on point? It's probably because you're cared for. It's not because you had good direction or whatever. I mean, you need direction, but you were cared for. So uh, little Ollie, he's climbing over the seat while we're driving 80 miles an hour down, right, 75 miles an hour down the 85 or whatever, and... Um, <laughs> He's like stepping on his grandma and all this stuff, and, oh, no, 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 and it's like cultural stuff. So Kyra, of course, you know, the word of wisdom, uh, comes in and just says, hey, Ollie, like, what do you need? Well, here's all that was. Little Ollie's just like you. He just wants to see the movie. He just wants to be involved. Like, like he doesn't know how to say the word patronize, but he knows what it means, right? <laughs> he knows. He's just having the words, right? So he's busting at mom. And here's basically, this is all that it was. Ollie had, he had two needs. He just wanted to watch the movie. Did you want to watch Space Jam? I, wanted, I was trying to, like, watch it. I wanted to see. He wanted to watch the movie. He wanted to sit with his brother. He didn't want to sit next to Greg. He wants to sit next to his brother. So Ollie took it upon himself. You ever know people that just try to fix their own problems when they don't have the maturity to do so? And try crawling over the seats and stepping on Grandma. And all Kyra had to say is, oh, you want to see the movie? Rainbow, can you take off your hat? And Ollie just said, thank you, and sat next to his brother and had a great car ride. You understand? When people are complaining, they just have needs. And there's people at your table that have needs. You know that? Like, actually, they've been punished for crying, so now they just implode. And they're exhausted. And you think they're lazy, but they just have needs. And they don't know how to deal with them. They're stuck. They've been stuck for 20 and 30 years, and you know what they need? They don't need more people in a church building. They need priests. That people that will move towards them and care for them with the character of Jesus, the way that we were always supposed to be. And so when the, when the church sees drama, it doesn't just roll over it. it. It raises up care for that. It raises up care. Who, who is at your table? Who's, who's the family members of blood, but also the church members? And who's your neighbors? We're learning how to do church through our family. That's the first requisite of a, of a pastor, is to learn how to lead your family. Then you learn how to lead in church. And then you can, this is the training ground, because we're not here just for family. We're here for a job. You got a job, and we're working on that. And so is the reputation of, of you at the table as somebody that meets my needs? If I'm at your table and you leave and I talk about you and your reputation, are you a need meter? Are you an Uncle Peter? Do you sit and listen long enough to recognize the cries underneath, the complaining, and meet needs rather than demand behavior? That's a priest. Uh, continuing on, now we zoom into not just the priesthood, but a singular priest like like the nature and the character of one of these men, and his name is Stephen. Now, Stephen, a man full of grace and power, um, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition rose, you know, from without and from within, just like today. However, 
from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen. And by the way, I just love that this book is like calling out names. You know, old 75th Baptist Church down there. Like it's straight up calling churches out right now. You know, the freedmen church wasn't very free indeed, you know. The Jews of the Cyrene, Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia who began to argue with Stephen. So this is how I know that the Bible is Baptist. You know how I know the Bible is Baptist? Because it loves alliteration. This is it. All of the attackers and the antagonists against Stephen, they just do S-words. They just hit him with the S-words. Look at this. You know, Stephen is out there in the synagogue from Freedman, the Cyrene, and Cecilia. It was breaking my heart. They couldn't stand up against everything that he spoke. And look at verse 11. They secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses, against God. So they stirred up the people with elders and teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified the fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. You know what the most important three words in the church are? I'm going to tell you the most important three words. The most important three letters of the church alphabet are these three letters, U, R, and E. You know why? U, R, he's the pastor. Is that just Y-O-U? No, I'm not. U, R, and E. You know why? Because... The U-R-E is what separates a cult from a culture. It separates. It's that line that divides the thing that God's doing and the stuff we're just making up. That's the most important three letters, right? In the church is the U-R-E. And so they're looking at the spirit of Moses, talking like the spirit of Moses could ever blaspheme the prophet of Moses, right? They're looking at this guy who represents Jesus, who's representing Moses and has always been representing Moses and can't recognize Moses for his face. So verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and saw his face was like the face of an angel. There's no person, as I checked, in the New Testament that has more superlatives attached to his name than any other thing. So many superlatives attached to Stephen's name. And actually, all the superlatives present kind of this personality paradox. It's a personality paradox in the way of of, uh, alliteration. And what the Bible says about Stephen is that he's like, he's full of grace. He's like this guy who when you're with him, you feel the legalism of, of the moment and the law strip off because he's just so full of the power of the gospel of grace. But at the same time, he's not so graceful that he would be afraid to walk in power and boldness when legalism would try and find its way. Okay, so he's full of grace, but he's also, he's not just so Mr. Nice Guy that he can't stand up against injustice. He can speak with power. Number two, it says that the Spirit had full, filled with wisdom, which means that he could easily discern the difference between right and wrong. You know, like the, the Solomon wisdom where the queens are coming in and trying to figure out how you're like running your household with such wisdom. But he's not the kind of wisdom that's just stroking his Gandalf beard, pontificating about stuff, that he's not walking in boldness and signs and wonders and faith. You see that tension, that paradox right there. Also, it says about Stephen that he's like a little angel that your grandma has a crochet pillow on. Just, he's just the face of an angel, right? With a heart of a lion who does signs and wonders against the powers and the principalities of the age while he's feeding these wid- widows. So I love this Francis Chan quote that maybe helps us get a gauge and a frame for what's going on with this personality of Stephen thing. Francis Chan, out of the Forgotten God Holy Spirit book, says, I don't want my life 
to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I don't want my life to be defined by an Enneagram test score. I want my personality to be shaped by the Holy Spirit so that when they look at me, there's such a paradox of terms, that's got to be Jesus. That's got to be him. And so I don't know if you ever thought of this or been taught this before. We actually, in the Spirit, don't have fruits of the Spirit. It's very important in Galatians. We don't have fruits of the Spirit. Here's what we do have. We have a fruit of the Spirit. We have the whole package. You ever been to a, a soccer game with a little kid? And um, you, I've coached him. You, you just can't fix it. They chase the ball. Ball goal, ball goal, ball goal, ball goal. You know, and they just, where's the ball? It's where all the kids are. They're just herding around the ball. The soccer ball is rolling around. And Pele is a kid. He's still circling around the ball, right? Because all the kids are following the ball. This is the deal. The fruit of the Spirit is not just one little fruit. It is all the fruit. And they follow Jesus wherever he goes. So here's the difference between a personality on the Enneagram and the fruit of Jesus. Is the personality of the Enneagram is responding, really? It's like the three things, fear and shame and pride. It's, it's, just, it's, it's coping with pain. So here's what I'm saying, is if you're like a super driven, focused person, and in a Bible study you might be able to label that faith, if it's coupled with an outrageous anger issue, it's not the fruit of the Spirit, it's a coping mechanism. Because you can't have faith without gentleness, and you can't really have boldness without grace. It's the fruit of the Spirit or none of the Spirit, you see? And so that's the difference is my personality, it can't be shaped by coping with pain. It's shaped by what Paul says in Galatians 6, is the pleasure of Jesus, what makes you happy. That's what's going to tell the difference because otherwise, if I'm not responding to the pleasure of Jesus, I'm responding to pain. And if I'm just helping people because I'm a two, that's not necessarily because I love Jesus. It's because I don't want you to not like me. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. And so, so, so this is what the fruit of the Spirit is. What, what is. what is making you happy today? What is making you happy today? All right, moving on. We just got to kind of close things up as, as time winds down. But I just, I just want to ask you this question. I think that Stephen's trying to, trying to teach us about the priesthood and what it means to be a priest in the priesthood, to be a holy priest. What does it mean to be somebody that's pointing people to Jesus and, and caring for people with the character of Jesus? And I think out of all the, you know, his little bio that's going to close up in, in, the, in the next chapter, he's just asking this question as you're looking at him and seeing these paradoxes and terms in his personality that is really just the spirit of Jesus in him, is how do you shine when people are throwing S's at you? That's what I see out of this. In this world, Jesus says you're going to have trouble and they're going to throw a lot of S's at you. A lot of slander, a lot of lies. They're going to stir up conflict. Like if they can't think, find anything against you, they're just going to make stuff up. And it'll be spiritual stuff and it'll be practical stuff, it'll be logistical stuff, but like the, the biography of Stephen is saying it's not just like standing when everything's going right. It's, it's standing when the S hits the fan. It's standing when, when all of the stuff comes against you. And here's what I think Stevis is saying. You know why his face is glowing in the middle of all the S's? 
is because he doesn't have his face pointed at them. He has his face pointing up. He says that as he's getting stoned, that Stephen, he does not have his eyes on his enemy. He has his eyes on Jesus. Because this world is too hard and it's not worth it. If our eyes are not fixated and focused on Jesus. Like when you um, are with somebody and they're crying out and they're complaining, like they're being a baby, you know? And they're at their worst because they need care. And most of the time, as you know, it'd be really great to be, you know, Mother Teresa on it and just go over there and like, thank you for caring for me, but they don't do that, right? They don't do that. They throw mud at you because that's what the spirit of flesh always does to the spirit of Jesus. And so they entangle you and get you to say things that you wish you wouldn't have said. But that doesn't change your job description. That we're supposed to be looking at this world while we are looking at Jesus, reflecting everything that he did. There's going to be things that you're called to do in this job where you're going to do some really important faithful work and get stepped on while somebody else is just getting the shortcut and they're getting all the credit. And then you look at your job description and you're, oh, that's right. That's what happened to Jesus. And that's on my job description because that's what priests do. They care for people with the character of Jesus. There's something right now that you're called to do and um, you're going to fail doing it. Like those of you guys that like, are like me, I just didn't ride a bike until I was eight. You just want to win like, and succeed. Um, the difference between uh, Enneagram personality and the character of Jesus is that it's willing to fall down and fail in following Jesus. And so this, this is where the temple and the priest and the sacrifice find their alignment is the church is not a building. It's a, it's a people that have their face fixed on Jesus as the only thing that matters and the only thing that's true and the only thing that's, that's worth it. And so this is really what, as we close up, you know, the Acts chapter 1 through 8 is Jerusalem, Judea, the ends of the earth. This has been the conflict of two temples, the tale of two temples. And it opens up in Acts chapter uh, 5, if you remember, with a death. And it closes in Acts chapter 8 with a death. Two priests that die. Did you notice that? A death and a death. And it's almost like it's saying, look, like the alternative is not whether or not priests die. It's whether or not priests are going to die because of money or die as a martyr. That's the bookends of Ananias and Stephen. Is some of us will just be priests in the temple of money and live the most painless possible life that we can and not really live in the, in the character and the culture of the temple, of Jesus. But here we have at the very end of this, this run in chapters 1 through 8 of the real priest, the holy priest, the priesthood that moves towards people on every corner and every table with the personality of Jesus, caring for people with the character of, his, of Jesus. And so this is, this is the deal. If you guys just make your, your last little fingers as, as we kind of close up. But this is, this is the church, right? And Acts chapter 1 through 8 is the tale of two temples. It is the temple that can't move and the temple that goes, the temple that has cripples sitting outside of it and the temples that get up and walk, the temple that is ruled by money and the temple of martyrs. And inside 
that temple is people. The heart of church really is just people. We are the priests. We are the holy priesthood that make up what the church is. But here's the point. Here's the point. If you do the pastor math, if you do the priest math, the heart of every temple is is a priest because the heart of every priest is a sacrifice. Like at the end of the day, you probably won't be here in church math in 10 to 20 years. And you will be looking back in 2044 at a time that will go by faster than you ever think. And what is invited to us in this job opportunity isn't comfiness and coziness. That's not what the church is about. It is not about getting the seat that you want and making sure to talk to people that like you and that are like you. This is ultimately what what we hope as our legacy is. I hope that between 2022 and 2042, that the word that could define this stretch of two decades is sacrifice. I hope I give you something that's worthy of your praise. I hope you get what you paid for. Like if I told you we're going to Disney World and I bring you to Navy SEAL camp, you're going to be upset at me because you have a false expectation. And if you think the church is for happiness and not for holiness, you're going to be uncomfortable. Like the church is a church because it's full of people and not just people, but priests. We are the temple, we are the priesthood, and we are the sacrifice. We are his holy and living sacrifice. And there's a day that like, like you are becoming, like at one point or another, your dad became the man that he was for you, and he can't go back and change that. And right now, you are becoming the priest that you are unto Jesus, and in 20 years, you won't be able to go backwards. And the question will be, did I live for money or as a martyr? And I'm just saying, if we're here for SEAL Team 6, then let's just go for it. Let's spend our time the way that we've been built up, the way the Spirit, let's not resist the Spirit and make God happy and live for that. Because what he's saying is that he's worthy of that sacrifice and everything that we'd ever want and long for is in that offering. It's that you can look at your physical son or daughter and also your spiritual sons and uncles and aunts and daughters and say, like Paul says at the beach of Ephesus as he leads his elders, Your blood is no longer on my hands. I gave it all for you. I poured myself out like a drink offering. And guess what? It wasn't because of you and all the S's you were throwing at me. It's because of him. Because he's worthy of my sacrifice and I'm giving my life as an offering. And that, family, is how this world will not see sheep without shepherds. It will be through sacrifice. It will be through martyrdom, not money. And so I think that's what's before us in uh, in Acts. and, And I'm looking forward to the next chapter as we look at um, his presentation of the gospel in in the closing uh, moments of the church in, in Jerusalem. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc. 